How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, Saturday Q&A day. Um, so yeah, <laughs> this has kind of long been coming. Uh, we, we weren't able to really get to last week's uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, so we kind of had to postpone it. And uh, today's catch-up day so if you have any comments questions issues insights discussion topics debate topics criticism well you can keep that to yourself if you got anything you'd like to talk about please go ahead ask away be glad to hear from you if there's something you'd like to hash out something you'd like to discuss uh go ahead bring it up fire away let us know be glad to hear from you just uh remember it's first come first serve in the comments so yeah so good morning good morning thank you so much for joining in i got a few things on the board here and some other stuff i'm going to be talking about and um uh, yeah so we'll just kind of wing it so saturday this is kind of what we do just see how it goes what comes along and the broadcast is pretty much as long as only we have involvement so once i'm finished up the board and the and the comment questions if there's nothing else we just wrap it up so you want it if you want it to keep going you got to keep thinking of something so <laughs> let me know Alrighty. so been a while since i said anything regarding it but um as we're called christian coffee time let's well, uh for a few different reasons uh why we call it that but uh <clears throat> one one is because i love coffee well <laughs> we discuss it from time to time some tips if you're into drinking coffee uh try using brown sugar instead of white sugar uh, the brown sugar adds a bit more of a malty flavor and it's a uh, it makes it a lot richer and just a little bit of milk uh, and use brown sugar instead of white and if you're into trying it and experimenting uh, try using a french press instead of a regular coffee coffee uh coffee maker the french press uh it just uh, brings out a lot more flavor and then and you can control the temperature of the water this is where you become a coffee snob so and uh, when you boil your water to put in your french press don't boil the water uh, try not to allow the water to get over 170 173 degrees uh, uh, if it goes over 170 degrees uh much more over that um it'll wind up uh cooking burning the uh the coffee grinds and it gives a lot more bitterness if you keep it under 175 degrees it, it won't bring out so much of the bitter and it'd be a lot richer without that bitterness so there's some tips so use brown sugar instead of white and uh, don't let the water get over don't let it get over 175 degrees so there's something for you to think about all right Okay, so I got again. I got a bunch of things on the board here, and as we see, you got stuff firing away in the comments. That's awesome. So the first thing that we're gonna we're gonna start with, as is our tradition, <laughs> we always talk about the the Bible study method. This is so important, and the the tool of the teacher is repetition. Repetition. So we go over and over and over and over. So, so that you will remember now yeah as i mentioned we kind of use uh two principles 
two principles of Bible study here. And that is, uh, start with firstly, the clear interprets the unclear. The clear interprets the unclear. What does that mean? Well, simply put, like, for example, we see in uh, the scriptures, in multiple passages, clearly it teaches how we are saved by grace. And this is where we use the other method, which we'll explain in a moment, and um, how to study these things out. We're saved by grace through faith and not of works. We're saved by grace through faith and not of works. So clearly we see that we're saved by grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, by faith, which is believing trust and not of works, not of ourselves. So clearly we know this. So other passages that you're reading that may seem to be a bit unclear on this and may seem to indicate maybe a different different uh, method. Um, like, for example, James chapter 2, so many people use that one, you know, faith that works is dead. Well, what does that mean? Well, clearly, we know over here, as it says, we're saved by grace through faith and not of works. It says multiple times throughout the scriptures. So the clear interprets the unclear. It helps us to understand then what James 2 is not saying. James 2, faith that works, is not salvationary. We know that because clearly this over here says otherwise. And God isn't going to contradict himself. And there aren't multiple ways of salvation or anything like that. We know salvation is by grace, not by works. So therefore, we know the clear interprets the unclear. We know that James is not salvationary. All right, so we use that method, the clear interprets the unclear. So what it says clearly in other passages helps us to, helps us to interpret, to understand other passages. Then we see the other principle we use is the Berean method of the three-point system of uh, interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation, application, demonstration, the what, the how, the why. Interpretation, there is only one interpretation of the word of God. What it says is what it means. As simple as that. And uh, we see application, there are multiple applications. It could be applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially. It could be applied to many things, but again, what it says is what it means. There's only one interpretation. There are multiple applications. And in the application, we see we apply scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. Like, for example, the clear interprets the unclear. And we do the word studies. Uh, we, we, the application is the how. The interpretation is the what. What is it saying? What is the narrative? Then we see how is it being said the specific words and pictures and images and we do the word studies what do the words mean like world all whosoever what is what did those words mean we see jesus in john 8 he calls himself the i am what does i am mean and we do these studies it helps us get a deeper grasp and understanding of the scriptures and, and uh, then we go to the final demonstration is the why. Why is this important? Why should I apply it to myself to go live it, speak it, think it, do it? So these things are very important. We need to remember these systems, these principles, and it'll really help us to, in uh, grasp of scripture, being able to really dive deeper into these things, defend ourselves from error and heresy, and encourage the saints and guide the lost to Christ. So uh, there we go. So that's just our quick run through again of our refresher on the principles of Bible study that we teach here at Christian Coffee Time. Alrighty, uh, let's back up into the comments here. 
Oh yeah, and FYI, like I put in the comments there at the top, please make sure you remember that I'm not going to be here next week. I'm sorry, I'm going to be gone from the 7th to the 12th. And uh, But meanwhile, you can check out all our other Bible studies. We've got tons of videos, tons of playlists, tons and tons and tons of content. As well, you can check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. got links to all our other platforms and link uh, link there to our podcasts. So you can listen to a bunch of our stuff over there as well. All right, so just want to let you know. All right. All right, so go down here. Okay, Jenna has a has a topic here. <clears throat> a few people told me we're not saved by works, but <laughs> I always get a kick out of that. You know, people say we're saved by grace. However, if you add but, however, or some uh, some other uh, interjection there, then you clearly don't understand grace. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not saved by works, but we have to keep faith in God that we can choose to forfeit our salvation. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and you said I said that's maintenance of salvation. So therefore, exactly. If if I have power to choose to save and unsave myself then that would mean that somehow salvation is is merited by my actively doing something, maintaining, keeping something. So therefore, it's not grace. It's not by God's grace. It's by my personal power and ability. I take it out of the hand of God. I make God a liar because he says he holds us in his hand and nothing can pluck us out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. You're calling God a liar. So yeah, if I can... Uh, lose my salvation, have it taken away, or it, it can be recanted, then it's not by grace through faith, uh, by belief alone, as the scriptures flat out teach. And you're teaching then a works-based system, a self-maintenance-based system, which is contradictory to what the Word of God says. Um, yeah, furthermore, I'd love to see the Bible verses that they use to try to justify that. Uh, Second Opinions chapter 3 doesn't count. Yeah. All right. Okay, um, Braden says, thoughts on the issue of divine hiddenness. That's a new one for me, I think. Um, I don't recall. I've been studying the topic for a month, and I've put together some great notes on the subject. Divine hiddenness. I'm sorry, I am not familiar with that title. <laughs> uh, I may have heard the, a description of it, but I, I just, it doesn't ring a bell. I'm sorry. I can't really comment on that one. If you want to refresh my memory. Uh, yeah, so. Um, and yeah, it, uh, as Jenna goes on here, works-based false gospel, but also faith isn't a work, right? That's right. Faith is not works. Faith is a believing trust. Faith is a believing trust. Um, it's just what like uh, you haven't seen Jesus. You you ha you weren't there with him physically. You didn't see it all, but you believe you believe in uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ that he's true. He's real. What he did is is true. You believe in the cross, the burial, the resurrection. You believe that belief isn't works. It's 
belief. It's an understanding. It's a knowing. It's a personal accepted knowing uh, where uh, where it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You introduce yourself to him. You believe on him. You accept him as your as your own. And that's it. It's not works. It's not works. And that's faith. Faith is believing trust. Faith is not works. As the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there you go. So yeah, um, Genesis, they twisted so much that I was actually a little confused. And that's, there you go. And you, you see a confusion. The God, God is uh, uh, not the author of confusion. Uh, so that's the first thing that the cults will do is they'll try to corrupt and and especially complicate the simplicity of the faith. They want to complicate the simplicity of the faith. It's very simple. It's straightforward. What it says, what it means. You read it on the pages. That's what it is. And they try to complicate it by messing with the words and all this stuff and make it more difficult than what it is on the pages. Uh, that's what cults do. So right there it's a, a, the moment someone starts touting stuff like that and you're getting all confused like what and it just seems something's off that's a red flag that's a red flag immediately push it at arm's length and guard yourself in the scriptures yeah and also uh, to to kind of pile on there as what uh, Braden is talking about as well if a person says that they believed and now they no longer believe and they deny God, deny Jesus, want nothing to do with it, it's very well possible they never got saved in the first place. There, there, there's uh, faux Christians, faux conversion, uh, false conversion. Um, these are individuals who are only under the enlightenment. They were under the enlightenment, but they never took it uh, uh, any further than that. They had the understanding and they rejected that that's hebrews 6 4 to 6 that's literally what hebrews 6 4 to 6 is all about people being brought under the enlightenment and all the knowledge and the understanding and, the, and they get it they see it and they can be under enlightenment for a while days weeks months even years they can be under enlightenment and then they just fall away that's what that's how hard it is to renew them again because well what's to draw them because they've already seen it that's what that's all about okay as Braden here says, when a person leaves the faith is simply the unmasking of them never being born again. On that note, true Christians can backslide, right? That for a season, but God will always draw sheep back. Exactly. No, no, that's that's what the comments are. Yeah, Braden says, sorry, I was trying to answer your question. No, go for it. That's great. Awesome. Go for it. Um, I'll just tack on and or whatever and just comment on it as we go. That's what this is all for. This is an open floor, open open table here, so go for it um yeah don't worry about it um as uh, genesis uh so true thanks to the scripture uh we can't unregenerate ourselves <laughs> great way of putting it that's right exactly uh okay Braden. uh tacking okay the regarding the question of divine hiddenness okay it's the issue of why why, if God is all-loving, why is he so hard to find? Okay. All right. Well, I actually had did an open-air debate with a guy on that one. I was street preaching a couple years back, and um, 
I fell up. I had my signs up and everything, and I'm I'm going uh, preach uh, preaching away, and a guy comes by on his motorcycle, and great big awesome Harley, really loud Harley, just blah 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 blah, goes right by it, and, and then he sees what I'm doing, and he turns around, he comes back on the corner, pulls into the parking lot behind me, and it takes his time, takes his helmet off and everything else, and he comes strolling up, and he's like, hey, and uh, he wants to talk, and. Uh, Turns out he's a staunch, dogmatic atheist, and he wants to debate me. <laughs> and we get talking, and he actually brought that whole thing up. Uh, of, of uh, you know, if God is true, then how come there's no evidence and going on all this, and why is it so hard to find all that? And uh, I said, well, okay. If you're familiar with the word of God, the, the God of Scripture, he's not hard to find. The Lord said... All those who seek me shall find me. So, and this is what I brought up with him. So, but if you take a look at the vast majority of people, the God that they're seeking is not the God according to Scripture. The Lord of Scripture says, if you seek me, you shall find me. And he's not going to play hide and seek with someone who's trying to actively find him who really wants to know he will he'll just come uh, out of the clouds here i am come to me he's eager to to bring all unto him he's not going to play games with you but it comes down to who are you seeking and you see the vast majority of people are not seeking the god of scripture it's a god of their own imagination a god that is okay and fine with their sin and abomination and everything else a god that's mixed with other belief systems and this that evolutionary god or a reincarnation god or a new age god an occult god or the pagan cultic god or whatever and they mix mash it up and it's not the god according to scripture that's the problem and if we see, if we look in Scripture, who Jesus is according to Scripture, he's the Lord God Almighty manifested in the flesh. And so many of these other people don't believe that, and then they wonder why they can't find him. God isn't hiding in the first place. He's not hiding. He's out in the open. He, he look, at all creation speaks of him. His saints speak of him. His servants speak of him. He's out in the open. He came down to this world, showed himself to the world, and they crucified him, and, and he came back to life. He proved it by many infallible proofs. He's not hiding. The devil wants you to think he is by, by distracting us and, and, uh, and uh, throwing all kinds of dust in the air to blind our eyes from the truth. That God is not hiding. The devil is just trying to bury him. God is not hiding. The devil's trying to bury him. Bury the knowledge, bury the understanding by bringing all kinds of other wacko beliefs and issues and distractions and hindrances and, and toys and all kinds of other social issues to, to distract people and to overwhelm people with so much other stuff that there's no knowledge of God. So they can look God square in the eyes and not see the forest for the trees. And that's what it is. God is not hiding at all. He's blatant out in the open, answers prayers. He, 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 he helps us. He saves us. He does so much. He's not hiding. Uh, but what we see is the, the people who want to know him as well. We see that if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. It also depends on how you're seeking, how you're trying to find him and who you're trying to find so that's how i'd answer that one okay um rosalie 
Uh, it says, question, in the end times, believers who have died in Christ will be woken up. Yep. Okay. Uh, all those who, who, who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the clouds. Right? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the Antichrist believers who have died in Christ will be woken up. But I thought if believers die, they are immediately in the presence of Christ. So why will they be woken up? Their bodies. It's the resurrection. That's John chapter... Five. John chapter 5? Uh, yes. John chapter 5. Verses 28-29. Marvel not at this, for the hours coming in, in which all that are in the graves, all that are in the graves, the bodies, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We see in the end, all will be brought up. Now, this is also where problems come in. Um, where people start believing in what's what's called the the soul sleep doctrine which is nonsense these people uh misunderstand and don't understand uh, what the bible says the body without the spirit is dead the reason your body is dead is because the spirit has left it the spirit has left it when the spirit leaves the body the body's dead and that's it that's it so the body goes into the grave and this is what's called sleep it says they which sleep in christ because the bodies are waiting they're waiting for something they're waiting for the resurrection our spirits we're with the lord as paul one time he was killed he was martyred he was stoned to death and he says i met a man in heaven above whether in the body out of the body i cannot tell but meanwhile down on earth his body which is dragged out of the city was dumped outside the city and his his friends and the disciples stood round about and as then the lord brought him back up and so this is what's going to the bodies will be brought up and their and our bodies and our spirits will be reunited again that's the scriptures teach on that one um so yeah soul sleep is false and the bodies in the grave are awaiting the resurrection where the spirits and the bodies will be united and this is where the bible as it talks about for the unsaved as it says in John 5, 20-29, in those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation, their bodies, the bodies of everyone, everyone, saved and unsaved, bodies will be resurrected, be brought up uh, to, to meet the Lord. And those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life or cast in the lake of fire, this is the second death. Because these bodies of the unsaved, which were resurrected, will die again that you will be bodily thrown into the lake of fire and your body will be destroyed and that's the second death the body of the spirit is dead so that's what that means and some people uh this is where annihilationism comes in people who believe that those who are thrown in the lake of fire will cease to exist and they're just gone forever no no that's not what that means second death is because the bodies the physical bodies which are resurrected will be destroyed again will we'll die again that's the second death annihilationism is false so i hope that answers that one rosalie says how do people in the old testament get saved by grace by believing faith not by works uh by belief alone um we see that uh, even because salvation has always been one form there's only been one form of salvation all down through scripture 
Uh, there have n there has never been multiple ways of salvation. Well, you're saved by works. You're saved by law. You're saved by grace. No, 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 no. It's one or the other. It's not multiple. In the Old Testament, they're saved by belief in the Lord. By belief in the Lord. As you see, Nebuchadnezzar didn't become a good Jew and keep the law and maintain all the works and the commandments and do all the ordinances. No, he believed on the Lord. He repented of his sins and believed on the Lord and he was saved. He was a saved man. He wrote Daniel chapter 4. The uh, Gentile, uh, Gentiles of Nineveh, over 120,000 Gentile Ninevites got saved by the preaching of Jonah by repentance and belief and they were saved and spared. Um, we see many others in the Old Testament that's the same way. They're saved by belief. And we see the high priest once a year would go into the temple with the shed blood uh, sacrifice atonement of the lamb uh, to sprinkle the blood of the mercy seat for the sins of all the people. All the people who believed it is the uh, uh, the, the ritual uh, uh, atonement of blood uh, for, for the sins of the people. And we see Jesus uh, as the replace that as being the lamb of God, the one time atonement. So we see... Uh, uh, all down through, even in the Old Testament, into the New Testament, the only change was the covenant of blood. No longer by lambs, but now by the Lamb of God. This is the new covenant in my blood. So it's always been by belief, by grace through faith. Always has been, has never been by works, has never been by law. Law doesn't save. Keeping the law, you're not saved by keeping the law because... The law doesn't save. The law is a curse unto death. The point of the law is to show that you are incapable. You can't do it. The apostles in Acts 15 says, why should we put a yoke of burden upon their shoulders and neither we nor our forefathers could bear? The point of the law was to show your sin, your inability, that you can't do it. As it says in Galatians 3, if there, has been, if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But what does it say in Galatians uh, 2.16? That it's not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It's by faith, by belief in the Lord God. So, the Old Testament, they were saved by grace, through faith, by belief alone, just like we are today. The only difference is, they were under the covenant of the blood, of the shed blood of an actual lamb. And for our covenant, the new covenant, the New Testament, is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Alrighty. Keep them coming, keep them coming. Okay, Rosalie says, I heard in the study of Revelation that there is one week left from the prophecy of Daniel, which will be fulfilled in the end times. I don't understand where this one week is coming from. Is it? Oh, okay, that's a separate question. All right, so, um, yeah, if you uh, take a look at our Bible study series on the book of Revelation by Pastor Paul, uh, he does a whole walkthrough. Um whole walkthrough of the book of revelation showing you a verse by verse point by point going all through uh, taking it back to daniel and all, all the other uh, uh cross references on the prophecies of the end of days all this stuff uh, now this is where i have to admit i'm not much of a specialist on the book of revelation i kind of pawned that off on, on pastor paul he's a specialist on it he's done years and years and years and years of study on the book of revelation excellent amazing scholar uh, theologian of the book of revelation um i'm 
more of an evangelist and specialist in uh, answering the basics uh, of the faith and that kind of stuff. I kind of pawn the revelation thing off on him, how that works. But yeah, weak as it, it interprets in um, uh, the the seven weeks of Daniel. This is the the uh, the prophecies of the uh, the. Uh, years of the tribulation and the wrath of god the bulls and the vials and all these things how it exactly works out i'm sorry i have to admit i i can't really answer that one much but if you go back and listen to listen to that and uh, he walks you through it and he explains it all and you take down your notepad and take down these things or rewind watch it uh, listen to it again he'll, he'll walk you he'll walk you through this so check out our playlist on the book of revelation and he'll walk you through that one on that so again, I'm sorry. There are some things I just I can't really comment that much on. I haven't done as much study as I should on the book of Revelation. Um, that's why I pawned it off on him. All right. Rosalie says, is it biblical when parents spank their children? I've heard so many different options on this. What is a biblical approach to punishing children? Well, okay. There is a massive difference between disciplining children and abusing. This is where people also conflate that if you discipline, you are abusing. Well, those people are ridiculous, don't know anything. The Bible teaches spare the rod, spoil the child. And what it means by that, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that with a rod, that you know, if you're not beating your children, then you're going to spoil them. No, that's not what that means. To spare the rod means to spare, to hold back discipline and correction. If you hold back discipline and correction, it's going to spoil the children and they're going to learn um, uh, to disobey and not listen to authority and not follow uh, as they're supposed to. That's what that means. Um, and the Bible teaches we're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And this is this here as as we fear and obey the Lord. And see uh, in the order of the family, the head the head of the family is the man. The, the, so the husband, the wife, and the children. The children obey the parents as the parents obey the Lord. And we see the flow down of authority. And as the Lord works and corrects us, so we do our children. And how He corrects and disciplines in love and grace and mercy, so we do with our children. And the Lord sometimes has to get a bit hard-handed with us, and so do we them. Now, discipline can take many forms, but what children need to learn is, is the consequences for behavior. And this all falls down and under uh, the, the parents themselves, how they want to go about this. The, uh, there isn't a commandment in Scripture that you, we, that you have to spank your children. That's just what culture has always done that's how it's just always been it's a simple thing and it doesn't harm the child depending on as long as you're not beating them you don't need to beat children you know like back in the olden days they take you behind the the, the woodshed and they take a switch and they'd whip you that's that's just that's not right that's not right there's no need to do that that that's that's not correct beating your children is wrong uh, but there's spanking is is a different thing. It, the point is when they're young and doing such, they learn that the consequences for bad behavior and it corrects them. And if you if you watch, it happens between children who have been spanked, children who have been 
uh, actively disciplined and in, in, in a controlled manner you're not doing you're not enraged and you're smacking your kid that's wrong you don't want to uh, correct while you're all heated up you want to go step aside cool down and come with a cool head in a controlled manner never ever 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 discipline your children in an uncontrolled manner and when you're all worked up never discipline your children when you're all worked up you're not thinking right it's called a temporary insanity and you're going to regret what you do uh, so as the Lord is always in, in a controlled manner himself, we want to emulate that as well. The Lord never uh, uh, works on us in an uncontrolled state. So why would we? We're supposed to, we're supposed to emulate Christ's likeness and the same as in, in uh, discipline. So when it comes to children, we got to remember as they are to us, so we are to the Lord. So there you go. Um, now, the whole thing, the question, though, what about spanking? Is it biblical or is it not? Well, it falls under uh, biblical precedence. We do we do see discipline of, of some hard-handed discipline in Scripture. But uh, as uh, spanking itself, I don't recall it being mentioned in the Bible. So, But what we can do is, by principle, we do see examples of discipline in Scripture. So, yeah. So that's where I'll go with that one. It, it, it's kind of uh, circumstantial. It's up to it's up to you in your form, but you got to remember uh, what happens if you don't properly discipline. Now, just saying, now you get a timeout. You get a timeout. Go sit in the corner. You get a timeout that, that does nothing. That teaches them nothing. Teaches them nothing. They need to learn consequences. So that could be taking away some of their rights taking away some of the things uh, that they like they enjoy the toys their games um, okay no no games no television like for example one time when I was younger I was very bad and my uh, I was very bad and my uh, punishment was I had to sit in my room all my toys everything was removed from my room I had to sit in my room all I had was my school books and some and some other uh, reading material and I had to sit in my room with no no toys or anything for two weeks. I learned and uh, that really did it so you know so there's many different different forms of discipline but the point is the the negative consequence uh, approach teaches they have to learn and it's more has to be more than just sit in a corner or the whole I, I I'm sorry, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. The whole, that when your child is misbehaving, you take the child and you reason with them. You say, now look, little Timmy. The reason why, and you can't psychotherapy train your child. They have to learn consequences of positive and negative. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. And sometimes it comes down to uh, even no reasoning. Well, why do I have to do it? Because I said so. The whole because I said so is is sufficient. And the Lord does that even in Scripture too. That where the, the child is not owed explanations for everything. Does God have to give us explanations for everything? No. So does the parent have to give explanations for everything? No. Because I said so is sufficient. <laughs> and, when, and when your dad dropped the because I said so, that was it. You stopped. You stop talking, you stop talking back, game over, done. 
You sit down, shut up, and you do as you're told. And sometimes kids have to learn that there's a line that they can't cross and that they only have rights to so much. The kids do not rule the parents. The kids do not rule the home. The kids do not call the shots. The kids obey the parents or else. Society teaches kids that kids rule the country. That the parents must bow to the children. No, it's the other way around. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that you may live long on the earth. That's what it says. That there actually is a consequence to children who actively rebel and fight against their parents. God says your life's going to be short. That the blessing of God is going to be removed from you. So, just some things to mull on. There you go. And uh, I speak from experience. I was a very bad <laughs> kid. Um, it's not funny. It's not funny. I, I was very disobedient. I was very bad, very troubled. Um, there was a long period there where I was a pathological liar. Uh, I actually had to work. On, I got older. I had to work on actually gaining my parents' trust back. They didn't believe anything I, ever, I, I said because I was a liar all the time. And I was a very troubled child. And um, my parents were quite strict with me and I'm glad they were. They were very strict with me. Uh, it, their training and their determination by, of their love for me and they, uh, they, they had to and I needed it. I needed that discipline and I'm glad that they, they were, they were hard-handed uh, in many ways because I needed that and that helped me and that molded me and that showed me that the severity of consequences because if you try to carry that kind of behavior out into society, you're going to end up in prison. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a horrible time out in society. So you they, this needs to be worked out of you, and you need to learn consequences at a younger age and severe consequences at a younger age. Because if you don't learn severe consequences, it's gonna destroy you for later in life. That's what scripture gets to. That's what scripture means. That's what God is talking about. So yeah, raise your children in the fear of the Lord, in the admonition of the Lord. To, to uh, love and honor the parents and to learn consequences. So, and if children uh, children don't want to learn, that's what you need to start fasting and praying for them. And you need to look to the Lord and ask him, ask him for help on this and he'll show you. So, in my opinion, my personal opinion, is spanking wrong? No, absolutely not. It's not wrong. Uh, but you got to be careful in how it's being carried out because you don't want to beat your children in a fit of rage and frustration. You'll start up. That's where you go overboard. You're always in a controlled manner. Uh, but again, it's completely between you know, the parents and their children. Don't go from here saying, Brother Matthew says, no, I didn't say it. I, that I put it all on the circumstantial on you and your decision, how you carry it out. I'm not telling you what to do. Just pointing out some observations of scripture. All right. Okay, um, Jerry has a question. Uh, can you help me understand um, Hosea chapter 9? Um, we want verses 1 to 15.
Sorry. Verses 1 to 15. Okay, that's a yeah, the whole chapter. Oh, this is going to take a while. Well, Hosea, from what I recall, is, uh, is him going and speaking against Israel, how, similar to Malachi. We see much of this uh, down through the Old Testament, uh, the prophets going and calling the Israelites out for all of their error, for all of their heresy and the uh, rejection of the Lord, fighting against the Lord and all of this. And we see that through Hosea as well. And, um, for example, in chapter 8, we see even how they go against the will of the Lord and setting up their own things and their own kings, their own princes, their own rulers, uh, uh, their own controls, and, the, and they're ignoring the Lord. Um, um, now, you can see in verse 1, For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. Uh, now, we see they're set up, setting up their own gods, their own authorities, their own lusts, their own desires. I'll go on, I'll go on through and uh, and uh, about uh, their desire for uh, new wine, new things, because they're tired of the old way. That's very similar to what we see today: is people are tired of the Bible, tired of doctrine, tired of theology, and they want something new, new wine, new entertainments, new things. They want their ears tickled. We see a kind of a parallel, a parallel to to, to this. Um, I'm just skimming through. Um, and then about, about the giving uh, warnings of what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, like verse 6, For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. The pleasant places for their silver nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. We see the curse of God. Uh, this goes back to... Um, when they're taking the promised land, Joshua set, set up an altar by Shechem. And we see on the two mounts uh, where the people, half half of Israel went to this mountain, half of Israel went to this mountain. And uh, these ones, that they, they uttered out all of the blessings and the promises of God. And these ones uttered out all the warnings and the curses of God if you should leave the Lord. The blessings of the Lord if you stay with the Lord and the curses of God if you leave the Lord. And about all the things that will happen and... Uh, uh, just as a remembrance of this and to keep the keep the ways of the lord and we see in hosea see this uh, that they've left the lord a whoring after other things and uh, we see in some of the curses about uh, of god as destruction and wasting and then the enemies uh, of the nations around will come and take you and defile you and this is what hosea is talking about in uh, uh in here uh, but uh and even in verse 8, the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. You see, false prophets arising up. People speak in their own things. So that's kind of what this is going, going on about through here. Um, so it, we're just keeping in that context of just the warnings. And uh, this is what, uh, what much of the Old Testament is talking about, by the way, the prophets, is warnings of Israel. We see it again in Ezekiel. We see it in Malachi and all these. So, there you go. Um, Jenna says, do you have a study specifically on the canon of Scripture? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, in the playlist, according to the Bible, 
Uh, you scroll down, you'll see a video on Bible versions, why so many? Bible versions, why so many? And uh, I believe that's what the title card it shows like a room bookshelf with just tons and thousands of books and all this stuff. But, uh, I think it's that one. Or it might be a different one. But it's titled <laughs> Bible versions, why so many? It's in the playlist according to the Bible. Um, but yeah, you, you, you'll see it there. Or it just shows a bookshelf and some bunch of books. Um, but yeah, I, I have a video on that. And I walk you through the whole Bible versions issues thing. Yeah. Okay, going down through, uh, Martha says, I've always hated the because I said so. Because I always thought parents, parents have no good reason to give her the order. Your perspective makes me think twice about it now. Yeah, because again, as we see the rule of the house. The rule of the house, like uh, uh, muddy shoes in the house, and the kid comes. The kid comes from outside, comes in, he say, "Take your shoes off at the door." It's like, well, why do I have to? Because I said so. It just sometimes it just goes without saying, and they'll understand it when they're older. They're like, oh, now I understand why my parents don't want me to run around the house in muddy shoes. Uh, it, 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 sometimes it's just. You do as you're told without having to to, to uh, question back and talk back. Just do as you're told. Just do as you're told. Thou shalt not lie. Why? Because I said so. Is that not sufficient? I'm the authority. I'm telling you what to do, God says. Then lying is evil because I said so. Tell the truth. It's a, the law of God. It's the law. It's the law. You try robbing a bank and you stand before the judge. Well, why couldn't I? Because the law says so. It's the law. That's what it is. You have a problem with the law? You have a problem with authority? It just goes to show a rebellious heart that, that, that fights against the law. And that needs to be corrected. That heart needs to be corrected. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh Jerry says, my kids respect us and love. We use the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a good system. It's a good system uh, to help to understand. We educate them regarding these things, you know, the, about uh, why the Lord put this down. And uh, and it carries over into the rest of your life in, in uh, the proper admiration and respect of authority and law. Proper law, proper use of law it will also help you to understand those that are trying to abuse the law because you'll understand what is correct law and what is incorrect law and they'll help you to resist corrupted authorities. So, yeah. All right. Um, so, that pretty much catches up on the comments questions. If you have any more, please go ahead and ask away. Okay. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we just finished up, wrapped up chapter 4. And using the, the two principles of Bible studies of the, uh, Ber the Berean method and uh, the clear interprets the unclear, walking through those, those two systems, uh, combining those in our walkthrough, we see a lot of stuff here. And some, some questions come up, and one came up the other day. Uh, there's an individual asking about, not so much as asking as trying to tell me uh, that uh, we can about, we can attain sinlessness. And they put some questions in the comments of the broadcast. 
and then after afterwards they tried to leave a comment uh, under the one video uh try uh, of the of their belief in uh in that we can attain sinlessness and they put in a passage of scripture and they also but they did say um though correct me if i'm wrong but this is my understanding of this so granted that and uh and uh appreciation of uh, a desire to want to discuss this so that's why i did the an extra video yesterday on uh, according to the bible can i attain sinlessness and i did just a quick uh all, like nearly a 10 minute uh just a discussion on this that's very quick for me <laughs> uh the, there's a going joke in our church about uh uh whenever i get talking about bible stuff it's going to wind up being about eight hours um so i'm famous for being long-winded so to do a short little 10 minute thing is very painful because there's so much i want to talk about but i have to keep it succinct so it's hard for me to do short videos um anyways um but yeah, so that's why I did the extra video uh, yesterday on can I attain sinlessness and walk through some uh, some of the arguments uh, that uh, that the uh, that's called the holiness crowd. Now I don't use that flippantly. It's just that's what it's called, the holiness crowd. These are the individuals who believe you can attain sinlessness. You can become physically holy. And, the, and then we cross that with, okay, no, but what does the Bible say regarding this? Is that a thing? Is that possible? What does scripture say on this? And we found in a, in a simple, quick study on this, that no, the Bible does not teach that, uh, that state of physical sinless holiness, uh, but rather the complete and utter opposite. And we use the Apostle Paul as a main example of this. And uh, some other things, as well as looking into the clear versus uh, clear interprets the unclear and the Brian method, studying that passage in First John chapter three. What does God mean when He says all those who are born of God do not commit sin? Well, does that mean that I'm not saved if I, if I'm sinning? No, because well, why then else do we see in Scripture where why then would Jesus need to be our advocate, our mediator, and our intercessor if we wind up being physically sinless, holy? Why would Jesus need to be our advocate if we can attain sinlessness, holiness? Why is First John one nine there then if we can attain sinlessness, holiness? If we confess our sins, if we, the saved, if the saved confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, I'm very confused on that. And if we can attain sinlessness, holiness, uh, then I guess the Apostle Paul wasn't saved because he struggled with a lot of sin and he called himself wicked. Even though he was a saved man, he was the apostle of Jesus Christ, writing scripture, founding churches, working miracles, leading people to the Lord in salvation, fighting for the faith. I guess he wasn't saved because he struggled with sin. Uh, we got a problem. Houston, we got a problem. So, uh, yeah, so no, the, the whole holiness crowd thing. Well, actually, then you want to take a look at the type of religion 
that is taught by the holiness crowd. And you'll find it is a works-based legalistic law-keeping system. They have to bind themselves to maintaining and keeping the law and try to strive to be perfect and strive and, and, and keep themselves. And here's a question, though. Here's a question. And this is where the these kinds of teachings of the physical sinlessness uh, kind of crowd. Um, they say, well, if you if you commit sin and, and all this, and you're not saved. Okay, a question: How much sin? Like, like, it, it, do am I not saved if I tell like one lie? Or no, if you're if you're a slave to sin. Okay, so that's two sins three sins how much sins like like what if i'm what if i just have a, a bad day one day i just have a bad day does that mean i'm not saved because i had a bad day and a bunch of bad things happened in one day or, or does it have to be a few days or how much sin see they don't they don't explain that yeah it's the same as the people who teach you could lose your salvation thing that's what it falls under. You have to maintain to keep your salvation. Uh, they never explain how much sin or how bad you have to be or, or where that is. Or how can you know if you lost your salvation? Is there some way to know? Like, what if I did something bad and I lost my salvation, but I have no idea? How can I know if I, if I still have my salvation or if I lost my salvation? There's no way to know. I think I'm saved. I, I, and there's just no way to know. Or... They never answer those. So, no. The whole sinlessness thing is nonsense. It's a false teaching. Uh, our, our souls are saved. Our flesh is not. And I, I did a, a whole a study on that. If you go back and check our Bible study series on the book of Romans, watch the one on chapter 7, uh, where I, I walk you through that, all of what Paul's talking about. And it's, a, it's an excellent study on this and refuting the works-based salvationists, refuting the holy sinlessness legalists. Uh, it's a, uh, a great study. Uh, please make sure you check that one out. So the big, big one, again, for those kinds of people, walk them through Romans 7. And look them square in the eyes and say, according to your logic, then, you're saying Apostle Paul wasn't saved. Oops. So, yeah, there you go. Okay, going down. There's, uh... First, uh, Rosalie says, 1 Corinthians... 13. Question on 1 Corinthians chapter Maybe I think you forgot to put in the chapter. But uh, and regarding your question, anyways, I, I think I know the passage you're referring to. Um, I have a whole video, a uh, very controversial video. I'll say that. A very controversial video. I did a while back. Uh, uh, one of my main studies uh, that, I, that I put a lot, a lot of time in it. Uh, regarding the biblical Godhead. 
there's so much misunderstanding regarding the biblical Godhead. We see people touting the Roman Catholic Godhead and other forms, and we see uh, modalism and Sabellianism and tons of other systems of belief regarding the Godhead. But what does the Bible teach? And um, what uh, what I strove to do was I wanted to do the whole study on the biblical Godhead without using any orthodox language now what i what do i mean by that by using the terms and terminologies and the uh, explanations that you regularly see in mainstream denominationalism and reformed theology i don't want to use any of their words any of their terms any of their systems i i, I only only used bible verses to explain the Godhead. And when you do that, it calls a lot of things into question. A lot of uh, what you thought you knew kind of goes out the window. It's very interesting. Because when we come to the scripture with, with bias, with personal bias on... Uh, uh, preconceived notions and ideas and beliefs that uh, you had before and you come to you start kind of reading the bible in light of your biases and that will corrupt the doctrines corrupt the understanding so you need to do is you need to come to the scriptures with a fresh clean slate and you need to remove your biases and and be willing and open to challenging your preconceptions what if you're wrong what if you're wrong? What does the Word of God teach on this? So I did a whole video on this. Um, according to the Bible, what is the biblical Godhead? The title card says, Who is God? And if we take a look at this, um, I don't want to go into detail on it, but I, I got into a lot of trouble with a lot of people. I got, I got uh, hit with a lot of accusations, a lot of hate. Um, Doreen, Doreen Virtue was one. Uh, she does not like me at all anymore. Doreen Virtue has deleted her vi uh, the videos that I did with her. She deleted all of those videos off of her channel. As far as I know, I went and looked. I couldn't find any of the videos that I did with her on her channel. She doesn't want to talk to me anymore. She uh, accused me falsely. She slandered me. She uh, went and contacted other preachers to attack me and to label me as a modalist, which I am not. I, I absolutely reject, hate, and refuse modalism or sibelianism. They're completely wrong. Those are heresies. Modalism is heresy. I'm not a modalist. I'm not a sibelianist. Um, I do not hold to the Catholic uh, uh, Godhead uh, uh, form, the Catholic form of Trinitarianism. I do not hold to that either. I reject those. And I have a whole video. Uh, one of the head teachers of theology of Moody Bible Institute actually backed me up and, and, and said that what I'm teaching is very biblical and accurate. Uh, so I have that in my video was peer reviewed by the leading teacher of theology of Moody Bible Institute. Um, I have a ton of information in that video regarding this. So yeah, so that's what's happened. And uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, now, 
if we take a look at what scripture says and that God is the head of Christ, and we want to see, okay, firstly, we need to explain who is Jesus according to scripture, who is Christ according to scripture. And I say that separately because there is a separate aspect. We see the flesh and blood body and then the spirit. So we see Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. That that uh, the uh, Christ is the spirit of God. That's what the Bible teaches. The Christ spirit is the spirit of God that was promised that would come down. But we see an issue in that God is spirit and no man hath seen God any time and lived. So because of this, he needs to have a veil covering. God always has a veil covering because we cannot look upon him as he is in his spiritual form. So he has to have a veil covering. We see the burning bush. We see the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory cloud, the... Uh, and then we see the body of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. God fashioned a body for himself so that we could behold him. And Jesus says to the Samaritan woman at the well, and she says, we know when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. And Jesus says, I to speak it to thee and he. So uh, we see Jesus claiming to be the Christ. Now we go back into the prophet Isaiah. Uh, chapter 9, verse 6, and we see the prophecy of the, the child-born son given. Child-born son given. What are his names? What are his names? Wonderful. Counselor. The. Mighty. God. And here's the next one that See, seemingly everyone ignores everyone ignores it for some reason doesn't want to face it makes excuses and tries to find uh, ways around and loopholes and explanations and they that they will not accept what the bible says what is the next name of the christ messiah that is going to come the child born son given what is his name what's he called isaiah the prophet isaiah prophet of god servant of god holy man of god the spirit of god spoke to the prophet isaiah told him write this down and isaiah wrote the names of the child born son given wonderful counselor the mighty god everlasting father I don't care what anyone else says. I care what the Bible says. That the Christ, the Christ spirit, the Christ spirit that's going to come be born of a virgin. The, the Messiah is the everlasting father. That's what it says. Go look it up. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6. Everlasting father. But Jesus isn't the Father. No, Jesus is not the Father, but the Father is in him. The Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. Father in me, I and the Father are one. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Almighty God, is in the body of Jesus. Jesus is the veil covering, Son of God, the Father, the Son and the Father, in unison. That's I'm in the Father, Father in me, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
If you're looking at me, I'm the veil covering of the Father, the, and the, the Father speaks through me. The Father works through me, Jesus says. The things I say unto you are not mine own words, but are my Father's which have sent me. That's what he says. That's what it means. So, that God, we see God, uh, that, uh, what was the, why is God the head of Christ? Because that's who he is. It's talking about the authority of, of identity, of identity, that, that, that the authority of, uh, the power, the identity of Jesus is God. God controls. God controls, is controlling the body. Because it's the body of God. It's God's own body. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Acts 20, 28. God purchased the church with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. Okay, but God is spirit and spirits don't bleed. Spirits don't die. He fashioned a body that, that could. He fashioned a body for himself so God could shed his blood and die for the church. Um, yeah, that's what that means. And I have a ton, an absolute ton of other arguments and proofs of this using only Bible, and you wouldn't believe the kind of attacks and slander that I have, I have, I have received for only using Bible and refusing to use orthodox uh, catechismic uh, 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 teachings and terminologies. You wouldn't believe the kind, the kind of attack I've, I've received on that. Um, that video is one of the most hated videos that I've done. Uh, 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 just explaining the biblical Godhead using only scripture. So yeah, go check it out. Let me know what you think. It will really open your eyes and really show you what's going on. Um, yeah. So I hope that kind of answers your question on uh, the whole authority and how the, the Godhead works. I have a bunch more stuff, but it's better explained in my video uh, in the playlist according to the bible scroll down you see the one according to the bible what is the biblical godhead watch that video please watch that let me know what you think and yeah like i said uh, uh dorian virtue and i have had a falling out um i did a, a talk a while back of her error her heresies her uh uh, she's uh, lied about me. She's lied about others. She's uh, dishonorably attacked uh, another YouTuber as well. Um, and slandered him uh, horribly. And uh, there's a lot of stuff. I, and so therefore, I can no longer promote Doreen Virtue. I no longer have anything to do with her. I don't point people to her to listen to her stuff because she is in grave error. She is in great biblical error. Um, so yes, and uh, she lied about me and tried and, and spread lies and slander about me, uh, calling me a modalist and everything else and unbiblical and a heretic. So I want nothing to do with her. Um, but yeah, but you be the judge. Check out my video. Check out my video in the playlist according to the Bible. What is the biblical Godhead? Um, and let me know what you think. Take your Bible, notepad and pen and show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. That's all I ask. Show me from the word of God and uh, show me from the scriptures without contradicting any other point of scripture. Show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. All right.
Okay. One cup says, wages of sin is death. Right. And there's now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Right. Exactly. Using scripture to justify sin is way worse. Well, yeah. Using scripture to justify sin. Nobody's justifying sin. Uh, what uh, uh, what I'm talking about is how our our flesh, our bodies, are are condemned and to die. And the reason our bodies die is because of sin. Our bodies we cannot become physically sinless. It's not possible. Uh, we see so much in Scripture talking about the the dichotomy uh, between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is wicked. The flesh is like a devil of itself. The flesh is condemned to die. And in my flesh is no good thing. My flesh serves the law of sin. My flesh hates me. My flesh uh, wars against my spirit. And I cannot do the things I would. And to teach that you could become sinless is literally calling God a liar and is contradicting the word of God and is teaching heresy. And it's also teaching a form of works-based system of salvation, which is absolute heresy, blasphemy. So, no, we cannot become sinless. And to say that and to say that we cannot become sinless is not justifying sin. That's, that's a severe, illogical form of reasoning that doesn't make any sense. But the scriptures say, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And you're saying, oh, no, we could be sinless. Uh, I'm going to listen to the Apostle Paul over you. Just saying. Just my opinion. All right. Um, yeah, Rosalie says, yeah, Doreen denies the rapture. Right, she denies the uh, the uh, rapture that the Bible teaches about, the rapture of the saints. Doreen denies the physical millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. And... Uh, yeah, she denies miracles. She's uh, a, a, a professed uh, cessationist. She doesn't believe in miracles and all this stuff, yet she's always touting her testimony and her visions and everything else. But then she says she's a cessationist. And she's a hyper-Calvinist and holds to Reformed theology, which is all unbiblical anyways. Yeah, she's severely messed up. And she needs to step down from uh, from what she's doing. She needs to stop trying to teach the Bible because she doesn't understand it. Yeah. All right, so enough on that. Let's move along. Uh, but speaking of opposition, um, my Instagram account, my Instagram account at two core two one is still under attack by Instagram itself. Uh, they are actively auto unsubscribing people from me. Instagram is unsubscribing people from me, and they continue to do so for ninety days and restricting my account on some ways so far instagram has unsubscribed 167 people from my account every day you can nearly watch the counter go down they just it just keeps going and uh yeah it just, all because i put up bible verses and just stating what's going on i like i'll show a a news article i'll take a screenshot of a news article and put a bible verse with it and they call it false information that I'm spreading false information and they slap me with restrictions and everything else and they start un un unsubscribing people from me. Um, so yeah, so I've been praying for me that uh, uh, Instagram will just leave me alone and stop bullying me, harassing me and uh, discriminating against me. Uh, it's Instagram is wicked. Anyways. Um, 
All right, so uh, this comes into the, one of the last things I have on my board. If you have any other comments, questions, issues, insights, discussion topics, anything else at all, please go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Um, so, yeah, um, one topic came up on regarding dealing with devils. Dealing with devils. How to deal with devils. Some people have asked me recently because they've been having some... Uh, demonic activity in their home and places that they're staying uh weird stuff going on how to deal with it how to handle this kind of stuff so some people it really freaks them out uh really bothers them a lot it is troublesome when it happens but how do you handle it what do you do um dealing with demonic activity the best way to deal with it is rebuke ignore praise god and, and seriously and and th those three points is you rebuke it just a simple rebuke so just rebuke it that every time it pops up it's like whack-a-mole whack-a-devil every time it pops up they just rebuke it and you don't need to go overboard and big flower you know, just the simple just in the name of the lord jesus christ be silent and get out and then ignore it complete utter cold shoulder complete culture just completely ignore it refuse to pay any attention to it refuse to talk about it refuse to think about it. every time it pops up in your mind rebuke it every time you hear it rebuke it every time something it just rebuke it ignore it praise the lord start praising the lord start singing the hymns uh, quoting scripture out loud talking about the lord praising god brag about jesus christ and magnify the cross the bell resurrection magnify the gospel watch what happens that's how you deal with it um so dealing with devils again is just rebuke ignore praise god uh there's so many people that just go overboard you need to go and do this and do that and, and you need to have deliverance ministries no you don't there aren't deliverance ministries in the bible they would just rebuke it and command it to be silent and get out. And then they start, and then they ignore it and then start praising the Lord and talk about the goodness of God. They don't focus on the devils. When you focus on the devils, that's when you're going to be having the problems. And it says the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. It's not about the fall. It's not about the negative. It's it's about the getting, getting up. It's about getting yourself right with the Lord. That if you do sin, if you make mistakes, if you sin against the Lord... Repent. Get yourself right. It's as simple as that. And you ignore the sin. You repent of it, then you forget it. Move on. It's as simple as that. And so that we will make mistakes. We will sin. Uh, there will be problems. There will be tribulations. But we don't focus on the negative things. If it happens, it happens. You get it. You deal with it quickly. It's like ripping off a band-aid. Just deal with it. You don't. You don't, uh, you don't uh, uh, wallow in it in misery and things. Don't dwell there we don't dwell there we dwell in the goodness of god in the presence of the lord so when we do sin when devils do pop up we just deal with it quick ignore it praise the lord praise the lord as the scriptures show how the lord forgives and forgets our sins we repent of and forget our sins you don't stay there it's it's like it's like gathering up a bunch of super smelly, nasty, rotting, rancid garbage. You scoop it in the garbage bag, you tie up the bag, drag it up, throw it in the dumpster, and then you just hold on to the dumpster and you just stay at the dumpster. Just breathe it in. 
just breathing it in and you just oh the, the garbage and the, oh it smells so bad you know it's so horrible i can't believe i had that in my house and why are you hanging around the dumpster get out to the fresh air stop hanging around the dumpster stop thinking about the garbage stop thinking about the garbage when it happens it happens deal with it move on so it's, it's the same principle in dealing with devils is that their ways are garbage there's no truth in them they are liars they're evil beasts foul enemies of god and just ignore them there's no truth in them everything out of their mouth is a lie every single thing they do is a lie and a deception everything they manifest everything about them is nothing but lies and deception and evil and corruption and confusion and fear rebuke it ignore it move on praise the lord all hail king jesus and just start talking about our lord jesus christ and magnify the lord and the goodness of god dwell in him is you stay around and you wallow in the goodness and the mercy and the grace of god you stay there ignore the enemy they have nothing for you but misery and depression and fear and heaviness and evil and corruption and just ignore that have nothing to do with it have nothing to do with their ways when they pop up rebuke ignore praise god when you sin repent ignore it praise god it's as simple as that simple as that and it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what sin that you commit repent ignore it praise god it's as simple as that your salvation is not hinged upon maintaining or keeping you're, you're already saved the grace of God, which is the unmerited favor of God. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? He didn't. But rather, what did he do? He realized his error. He repented. He got up. He left it. He ignored it. He forgot it. He left it. He came back. And even before he even told his father how sorry he was, his father ran and embraced him. Before he even apologized. Give that some thought when did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father he didn't never did a picture that doesn't matter what you've done it's time to come home doesn't matter what you've done get yourself ready Does, oh, you fell down again get up well i can't believe i fell down again oh no i i fell down i was i was doing so well i can't believe i fell again could you imagine if we actually did that in reality Every time you trip and fall, you just stay on the ground like a like a little little kid and you start screaming and wailing. Could you imagine if adults did that? Well, there are some, but imagine if they're it, it, doing that. You're in the middle of town, you're in the grocery store, you're pushing the cart and you trip or something and you just start, you sit down, you wallow. I can't believe I tripped and I can't believe I did that. Could you imagine? Why do we do that to God? Well, I can't believe I fell again. Oh, what was me? Get over it get up the righteous man rises again it doesn't matter how many times you fall get up we're on a battlefield soldiers when they if they make a mistake or if they trip and fall or whatever if a soldier a soldier they don't wallow in the mistake that if they trip and fall they're immediately back up and they're at it again if they make a mistake they immediately fix it and they keep going that's we're on a battlefield 
We're not on a playground. This is this is this isn't a uh, some little preschool kindergarten thing. This isn't daycare. This is a battlefield. If you mess up, if you make a mistake, if you trip and fall, get up, keep going, get it right, get it fixed, keep moving. It's as simple as that. And ignore the mistake. Yet you repent, nor praise God. And if the enemy pops up, rebuke, ignore, praise God. Like one person uh, messaged me this morning about praying for them because uh, that they, they went there. They rented a cottage uh, for their family for, for a few days and they get to the cottage and they find that in the cottage was a bunch of new age stuff, statues of Buddha and a bunch of other weird art and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, pray for us. You know, this place is full. This belongs to someone else. There's nothing we can do really do about it. And like, what do you do? I'll throw a towel over it and ignore it. Means nothing to us. Means literally absolutely nothing to us. Uh, those ways are nothing to us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But, but, but they're statues. Oh no. A piece of rock that is carved in some figure. Ooh. Um, means nothing to me. Means literally nothing. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The word of God is greater. So rebuke it. Ignore it. Move on. Go about your day. If it pops up in your mind, starts troubling you, that's just the enemy trying to trouble your mind. Rebuke it. Ignore it. Move on. It's as simple as that. Doesn't matter the ways of the enemy. Rebuke it. Ignore it. Move on. Those th those three steps will help you more than anything. I swear. All right. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, going down through. If you're sinning, those demons have legal right. No. Wrong. Wrong. That Bible doesn't teach that. Um, if you sin, we belong to the Lord. We're still children of God. We are legally held by God and God does not disown us. God does not reject us. God does not deny us. We belong to him. Our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we're held in his hand, and nothing can pluck us out. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. Are you saying he's wrong? So no, the devils have no legal right to own or control or anything like that. No, no, they don't. They can afflict. They can trip you up. They can try to distract you and all this, but that doesn't mean they own you or they can they control you. You uh, you are being distracted and hindered, and you're being afflicted and oppressed. You cannot be possessed. You cannot be owned by the devils. They do not own you. They do, they do not control you. They have no legal right to you. We belong to God. We're indwelt with the Spirit of God. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the living God which is in you? And you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The devils do not have legal right to anything. They hate you, they oppose you, they try to trip you up, they try to distract you, they try to whisper thoughts in you, they try to hinder you. They have no legal right. No, they don't. That's a, that's a false teaching. No, that uh, God owns us. We are legally owned by God. We are owned by God. We are purchased. We are a purchased possession. Purchased by God. Owned by God. We, we're sealed by God. Held by God. Controlled by God. Yes, our flesh is corrupted by sin. The devils try, try to distract us, but that's all they can do. They do not own us. They do not control us. It doesn't matter what the devils do. 
And they have no legal right to us whatsoever because we are legally owned and bound and controlled by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the name, by the spirit, by the blood, by the person of Jesus Christ. Almighty God holds us. The devils have no right and any teaching that would say otherwise is false. It's a false theology, a false doctrine, and it is completely in error. Completely in error. So yeah, the whole sinlessness teaching is false doctrine and from what i said earlier i i've been kind of wondering and i'm not sure but i would like to ask the question one cup are you a seventh-day adventist are you of the seventh-day adventist religion are you of the sda system are you i could be wrong but i'm wondering do you belong to the seventh-day adventist denomination because your arguments are seventh-day adventists your, your logic is Seventh-day Adventist. You're using the SDA theology. I'm wondering. Okay. Well, then you've been influenced. You say, I'm a follower of Christ, no labels. Then you've been influenced, influenced by SDA theology. Yeah. Uh, G uh, and then one cup says, Jesus said, if your eye causes you sin to pluck it out or cut it off right what's the context if we look at the context it's like yeah if, if there are troubles and sins and, and problems if things if, if offenses are in your life they the lengths and extents that you should go to try to get free of that like like your hands offends offends means to weaken cause you to fall back that you would go to such lengths uh, to get rid of it like unsubscribe unfollow delete remove throw out get rid of walk away uh, that sometimes it can be even be difficult and painful but it needs to be done to protect you to help you to hold you and that's what it's talking about so yeah it's not it's not salvationary it's not salvationary and some people would want to hold on to these things and even in light of uh, that that they uh, that instead that they haven't actually repented of their sins uh, to be saved that they're still holding on to sin and and they refuse to repent they want to be saved but they don't want to repent of their sin and they'll hold on to the sin into hell they never got saved in the first place so yeah it's not so yeah you need to go back and study your bible uh, you, uh, your arguments, you clearly don't believe in eternal security. You believe that you could lose your salvation. You believe that you could be physically sinless. Uh, you're really mixed up. I'm sorry, but you're really mixed up. Okay, let's go down through. Okay. <clears throat> Light of Christ says, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. That's correct. That's right. Um... And so, and uh, we we see this uh, that uh, the law is not a curse to us; it's not a power over us, but rather the law becomes something else. It, it, the law was our schoolmaster to sin, as it says in Galatians. Uh, it was a schoolmaster to sin, meaning that it instructs us to help us to understand what sin is, so that so that we could see how we are a sinner, 
and how we need to be saved from the condemnation of our sins. And we go to the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved by grace. And then we are under a new schoolmaster, which is the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God becomes our schoolmaster, our teacher. The law becomes now a tool that, 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 that we use to help to understand that if I want to see what something is, we search the scriptures, see what the law of God is regarding righteousness and unrighteousness, all unrighteousness is sin. And, and the law, we see the law of God, which is the word of God. It's not just the Ten Commandments, it's the whole Word of God. It, it helps us to understand the differences, and it teaches us and instructs us in this in these ways, but we're under grace, not law, because we're no longer condemned for our sins. The condemnation of our sins has been, has been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, and then, um, the light of Christ says, you don't need to repent of your sins to be saved, though. <laughs> uh, okay, saved from what? Saved from what? Light of Christ says you don't need to repent of your sins to be saved. Okay. Save from what? Salvation from what? Redemption from what? Redeemed from what? Jesus Christ shed his blood for what? Jesus says repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says repent and believe the gospel. Are you saying he's wrong? God says uh, that... that uh, uh, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Was he wrong? So, yeah. Uh, we see the scriptures teach repentance is required, but it's the understanding of, of what is biblical repentance. Repentance isn't works. Repentance is not works. The, those who, who, who actively deny repentance and say you don't need to repent to be saved. Well, these people, what they're doing is they're confusing repentance and, and they're looking at it as repentance is a work. No, it's not works. Repentance isn't works. Repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. The heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. Um, and that I see that I'm a sinner and I'm condemned of my sins and I ask, the, I ask the Lord to save me from, the, from my sins. That's what the scriptures teach here. Now, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If you do not repent, you will perish. If you do not repent, you will perish. The Bible says repentance is required. Because if you're not repentant, if you're not repenting, you will go to hell. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what it says. So I'm going to believe the Bible. And the Bible says repentance is required. Repentance is necessary because repentance is, is you seeing and understanding your sin by the law of God, seeing the salvation of Jesus Christ. And I don't want this anymore. I want this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I repent and believe in the gospel. If you do not repent and believe the gospel, you will go to hell. That's what the Bible says. So yeah, so yeah, so fighting on semantic, semantics, it's like the people say, well, well, there is no rapture because rapture is not in the Bible. Uh, you do realize the word rapture is the title term that is given to what the Bible teaches about the gathering of the saints together unto Christ. So, so doing the whole, you know, uh, 
uh, strain at a gnat, swallow a camel thing, do that with the with the word repent. Uh, that's I, I don't see the logic in that because the Bible flat out says it. Uses the words. The Bible flat out says the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, as given by God. God says the word repent. He says the word repent. He says repent. And if you don't repent, you'll perish. And you're saying no, you don't need to repent. So you're wrong. Bible's true. You and I have had this debate a, a few times and you keep saying the same thing and you're not listening. You're rejecting what the Bible says. The Bible says repent or perish and you're saying no. You're saying that's wrong. So you're wrong. You're, you're preaching falsely and you're telling people they don't need to repent to be saved and the Bible says you do. So you're wrong. Light of Christ, you're wrong. Okay. This is why it's so important. One second. So, if uh, so, let it Christ. If you're going to keep on with this, and you're going to keep uh, uh, proclaiming and and promoting uh, the false teaching that you do not need to repent to be saved, you're going to keep promoting that false teaching. I'm going to have to mute you or kick you off the channel because we do not allow false teaching, false doctrines here. And saying you don't need to repent to be saved is a false doctrine. You clearly don't understand what the Bible teaches on this, and you're rejecting clear, 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 concise scripture. Scripture flat out says repentance is required. Jesus said it from his own mouth in his very first sermon in Mark 1.15, and you're saying, no, you don't need to. So you're wrong. So yeah. There you go. This is why it's so important, folks. This is why it's so important to study the Bible and study the specific words and the meanings of the words and what it says is what it means. What it says is what it means. What it says. It says, repent. It says the flesh is corrupted by sin. It says these things. And what the Bible says is more important than what anyone else says. What scripture flat out says, believe this over the opinion of any man. Believe this. Seriously, folks. And all the prophets said, repent. Exactly. 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 And repentance is not works. Agreed. Repentance is not works. Repentance is, is the, is the, as the, is the, uh, acknowledgement uh, of the sin state. It's of the mind of, it's the understanding. That's Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, where the Spirit of God enlightens you to show you how you are a sinner by using the law, convicts you of your sin. So you see your sin, you see the cross, and you see, you see you're on your way to hell, you see your condemnation, you see salvation. Forgive me of this, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of this, please save me. That's repentance unto salvation. The Bible even says that. <laughs> <laughs> I get stirred up. I get passionate. I get zealous on this because it's true, and I can't stand false teaching. And especially with individuals, and I'm not mean this to to point out and slander or whatever else that anyway. But I'm just saying individuals who are adamantly, 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 adamantly rejecting, refusing, resisting, fighting against what the Bible flat out says when it says it so clearly, and they won't accept that. There's something seriously wrong with those individuals' hearts seriously wrong because they're going by their opinions and other things and they're resisting scripture they're 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 saying that what the bible clearly says is wrong that's dangerous ground very dangerous ground so yeah all right uh, uh olga 
has a question here. Um, oh, wait, I think there was something else you asked up here. Oh, no, okay, no, okay. Okay, Olga has something here and says, I think if we believe that Jesus is God, took flesh, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, then rose from the dead on the third day, we're brothers and sisters. The rest are secondary doctrines. Okay, if I may uh, just flesh this out just a little bit, what you said is correct to a point. Is there's a little bit more than that, a little bit more than that, uh, because uh, Catholics would agree with what you just said. See, I, I'm a what's called a technical literalist. I'm a technical literalist. I get very technical when it comes to doctrines and theology and things like this. I want to be. I, I get very technical, as you can tell. Um, there has there has to be a little bit more than that. What I would add to that, because Catholics would agree, Seventh Day Adventists would agree, many other denominations would agree with what you just said. Orthodox would agree. Uh, so, but what but what can we add here? That's a little bit more. That just kind of just beefs that up just a little bit more. Grace. That salvation is by grace through faith by belief alone. Period. If individuals believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God who took flesh and did the work of the cross and the resurrection, all that, agree, and that we're saved by grace through faith by belief alone, period, then they are brothers and sisters. Because the way of salvation is by grace. Anyone can believe in the other things and still go to hell. But because they're believing in a workspace system, you know, the whole Lord, Lord thing of Matthew 7. So we see that there has to be added in the additional bit there of what salvation is purely by. Salvation is by grace through faith, by belief alone. Not of works, not of righteous works, not by works of the law, not by baptism, not by self-atonement, not by any other thing. Not by any other name or power or ability or nothing of me. It's by belief alone, by grace alone. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, so we see, yeah, the, and we talked about this before, about the primary and secondary doctrines. Uh, it's been a while since I think I went over this. What is that? The primary and secondary doctrines. Primary doctrines, it doesn't mean that these are more important than these. What I'm saying is, these ones are salvationary, these ones are not. So what's salvationary? The person of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, and, and what merits our salvation. That salvation is by grace through faith, by belief alone. And you see uh, what Jesus died for, our sins, all this, so repentance, belief, and the specifics of the person of God in Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. These things that if you get any of these wrong, you're not saved. That's what, that's what makes a primary doctrine. If you get any of these wrong, you're not saved. So all, all other doctrines of scripture, all other doctrines, other teachings, other things that in and of themselves are not salvationary is what's called a secondary doctrine. You see, we can wind up, you know, battling, butting heads, arguing, agreeing, disagreeing, whatever on secondary doctrines, and we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you disagree and fight and battle on the primaries, well, that you're not you're not a brother or sister in christ you're not saved so yeah we got to identify what makes and uh if an individual is a brother or sister in christ you got to make sure to remember that and to treat them as such and we got to be careful uh but yeah this is what makes us brothers and sisters in christ the primary doctrines
Okay. Go up here. Oh, comments jumped. Okay. Uh... Okay, Olga has a question. What does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins? The grace of God. Like, for example, you look at uh, look at Saul of Tarsus, who gave gave the allowance and the license to kill Stephen, the first martyr, and they stoned him to death. So, literally, the blood of the saints is on the hands and the head of Saul of Tarsus, and he butchered the church and arrested them, dragged them to torture and slaughter, and destroyed the church and blasphemed Jesus Christ and breathing out threatenings and slaughter. All of that sin was covered by the sheer love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ. It was all forgiven and forgotten. The love of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, that I don't have to do anything to earn favor. I don't have to do anything to merit favor. All right? I, I, I don't have to atone for anything that I've done. I bring all of my horrible, wretched sin to the cross, I hand it to Jesus, he takes it, throws it away, saves me, adopts me into his family, writes my name in his book. <laughs> That's what that means. So it, it's the uh, it, it's the epitome of the very definition, the meaning of grace, the God's grace. Yeah. Okay, Eleanor has a question. Could you please define salvation? Could you please define salvation? Salvation, uh, i.e. redeemed, regenerated, renewed. Uh, we see uh, salvation is it, it, salvation is uh, the outcome of being saved from. So we see salvation, as the scriptures teach, salvation from what? Salvation from what? So we see that the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we see that our sins have separated us from God, as Scripture says. And that we, we have committed these sins, which all unrighteousness is sin, as the Bible says. And we see the law of God, the righteousness of God, and we've de we have deliberately sinned against God. We have deliberately broke his law. And we take a look at the law, for example, just to, to see this, to, to prove this, to, to justify this, to justify our sin, uh, that we are sinners. We look at the law, um, and we see that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. Because why? God is not willing that any should perish. Because God so loves us, he doesn't want us to go. God is not willing that any should perish. So he made a way of salvation from the condemnation of our sins. The condemnation, which is the wrath of God, which is the which is the end byproduct, which is hell. Uh, that is, was created for the devil and his angels, then we, that we have our choice sinned against God. So therefore our sin is cast to hell. And if we're not free from our sins, it drags us to hell. We must then be freed from our sin, freed from the condemnation of our sin. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, gave himself for us. Greater love is no man than this, than a man who laid down his life for his friends. And that's what he did for us because he so loves us. 
So he gave himself for us. He he paid the whole price. That the the wage of sin is death. So he died without the shedding of blood. He shed his blood, and he proves that he has power over life and death by resurrecting himself. He says in John ten, "I have power to lay down my life and take it up again. No man takes it from me." So to prove he has power over life and death, power to give us everlasting life, he raised himself up. And he says now, believe. Uh, he says, it is finished. I've done it all. I've done all the work. That For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by righteous works which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. It's a washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, as John the Baptist said. The Spirit of God comes upon us, washes us clean. And how is this done? Romans 10, 9 says, if we, if we confess the belief of our heart upon him, we are saved. For by grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, by faith, believing trust. So by grace through faith, are ye saved. And so it's the grace of God. If he did all the work, he did all the atonement, he did everything that's needed because he so loves us. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be saved. So he, he did all the work. And he says, now just believe. And as the jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. God gave himself for us. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. And it shows the full work of God himself. Is He, he came down, he, he gave himself for us. That shows such unbelievable gracious merciful love and as love covers a multitude of sins as we talked about earlier so we see he did all this and salvation is the work the act of god god's act of salvation his way of salvation from the condemnation of our sin so we believe on the lord jesus christ uh, that he did this for me that i see how i'm a sinner I repent of my sins and believe on the cross, believe on the work of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I accept him as my God and Savior. Say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me, save me. Whatever comes out of your heart as the confession of the belief of your heart, you confess the belief of your heart uh, upon him. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will forgive you, save you, seal you, cleanse you, hold you. That's salvation. We see in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins by the riches of his grace. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed of the Holy Spirit of promise. So this is this is what salvation is according to scripture uh, seeing the person of jesus christ jesus is the christ which is the mighty god manifested in the flesh the word which is god that became flesh and dwelt among us the mystery of god which was manifested in the flesh just as scripture says how he came down and he did this work for us because he so loved us he gave himself for us to save us by grace through faith by belief alone that's what the word of god says so there you go. So I hope that uh, answers that one. If you have any other comments, questions on that, please go ahead, ask away. All right. Um, going down through uh, the number one, the deity of Jesus Christ to salvation by grace through faith, but. Uh, by belief alone uh and number three once saved always saved right the eternal security they're very important this also kind of covers in the second point regarding by grace because when we see the actual 
very definition of grace according to the word of God. Uh, what is grace according to scripture? The grace is the unmerited favor of God. That I didn't merit it, I didn't earn it, I did, it's not a reward, I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. Grace is the sheer absolute, absolute nothing of me. Literally nothing of me. I, 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 I didn't earn it, it's not a reward, it's not by brownie points, not by me working or maintaining or keeping or striving or atoning, I do nothing. As the, the famous preacher Jonathan Edwards said, I bring nothing to the table of my salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. That's a great explanation of it. So grace is the sheer, absolute, just mercy of God. That is the unmerited favor of God. That's a grace. So when we see uh, the sheer meaning of this, of the unmeritedness of grace, uh, it's not by works, clearly. It's not by righteous works, not by law-keeping. So... Um, I can't lose my salvation, it can't be taken away, and it can't be recanted. Because if salvation can be lost, taken away, or recanted, then that by definition denotes that it's by works. But since it's not by works, it's by grace, can't lose your salvation. So, But we throw in the once saved, always saved thing just as a bit, a bit of a, a clarification, because a lot of people are confused on the word grace and don't understand the the the... the the absolute depth of grace and they confuse grace with works and they combine the two and make a mess oh yeah we're saved by grace but if you don't do this you're not saved uh you clearly don't understand grace so we do throw in the one saved always saved thing in there just to help people understand a bit more of that one saved always saved is just explaining how we're saved by grace and because of that we're held by god and not by me i can't open the hand of god so there you go all right and uh, these are the, these three are the main salvation issues we must agree with. Absolutely. Yes. Olga says, my previous question was, if you think that people... Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw the video I put up uh, a couple days ago regarding Baal worship. Yeah. <laughs> the UK Commonwealth Ceremony of 2022. Um, yeah. Give that video a watch. Uh, that'll make your head spin um now some people look at that they're like how's that Baal worship and then they don't understand okay well i personally believe that the vast majority of people in the audience in that huge massive ceremony with tens of thousands of people i do believe that the vast majority of the people there had no clue what they were doing they had no clue no idea i do i i don't believe the that many of them had any idea some may have i think the higher ups that put it all together knew what they were doing or that maybe they didn't but they were inspired by something something was a force behind them making them uh, give them the idea to put that together i think the people in charge knew what they were doing i think the people in charge knew what they were doing uh higher ups know what they were doing but if you walk through the video of everything that's going on and you look in history and you look at the facts, put all the details together. Uh, symbology is a, is a very important um, study. Uh, so something, something to hold. And when you want to study religions, world religions and practices and things going on, symbology speaks like crazy. Um, okay, so you put it all together. You have a giant, massive mechanical bull. A puppet in and of itself is nothing. 
the the uh, a giant mechanical cow, a giant mechanical bull is nothing, nothing. But when you look at what it's used for, it's used for something. Now the the uh, where this bull came from, this they was used by some organization. They used to make these big mechanical puppets. They were gonna uh, retire the thing, and these people were like, no, we want to use it for our purpose. So they uh, they they adopted it and they took it on because it was going to be retired. But they took it and they used it for this ceremony. And then they did this other thing. And if you look very carefully at everything that's going on. They have this giant bull that's in that's that's surrounded by people standing around it. This bull has this big mask on it, a big mask that's like a muzzle that's keeping its mouth shut and it's and and it can't do anything. Then there's there's people on top of the giant head dressed like angels, suspended on cables to look like they're flying. Come up to it, grab the mask. Pull the mask off the bull, and the bull can speak, and and, and and the bull apparently is also bleeding from the eyes. They and they the narrators are saying that the bull stands for for love and light. How is a giant, massive bull bleeding from the eyes symbolizing love and light? I, I don't know. And then all the people surrounding it have these giant glowing crystals magic crystals in their hand and they're bowing they're literally going right down to the ground and going up and they're doing what's it called obeisance they're doing reverence and worship of this bull that symbolizes love and light and if you know anything about the bible the lucifer Luc the, the Lucifer is the, the one of light. And in the Bible, Baal is symbolized as a bull. Baal is a bull. Moloch is a bull. So they have this giant mechanical bull that symbolizes love and light that's being unmasked by these powers and is being worshipped by people put it all together put it all together put all the pieces together what in the world is going on if you know anything about the bible if you have even just the most remote understandings of scripture and and biblical history and understanding a biblical some biblical terms and names and stuff you know exactly what's going on looking at this thing it is clear as day it's as clear as day that's baal worship that is a giant massive ceremony of baal worship you can't get any clearer than that so yeah that's what's going on okay <laughs> okay, so Olga says my previous question was if you think the people that made the bull in Birmingham, England did it on purpose and if those worshipped knew what they were doing. Uh, uh, the people making it, it was originally made for like parades and stuff just to show, you know, they've done spiders, uh, they've done the, the bull, they've done other puppets and other things. It's just big mechanical puppets. No, no, big mechanical puppets, it was not, a, the bull was not originally made for that. I, I actually, if I, 
if I recall correctly, according to the history of the, the mechanical puppet bull was made in for, uh, there's this one, I think it was in Spain, there's a place where this one bull that was famous and it died and they made this puppet in honor of this bull and this a bullfighting ring is just to stand for that bull or whatever and um it, they, it took a while it was going for a while and they were going to retire this puppet and they adopted the puppet for the ceremony so originally it was made for something else um if i recall my histories correctly uh but yeah and did the people know what they were doing i i actually don't think the majority of people actually really knew what they were doing there may have been some but i think overall ignorance is a massive factor ignorance is a big factor yeah nothing is under the sun yeah and just like what what the israelites did uh uh moses on the mountain yeah uh just how people just completely corrupt themselves okay okay going down through the comments okay uh ebenezer has a question should we be following the dietary laws no the bible actually says no uh there's a bunch of stuff to look into this now the dietary laws uh we see in the old testament uh we see there's actually let me start over there are two sets of laws in the scripture there's the cultural laws. There's the righteous laws. There's the cultural laws and the righteous laws. The cultural laws, which are given to the Jews in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the under the Old Testament, uh, uh, these laws defined their, their way of life as, you know, the eating, the clothes, and different things of the uh, defining their culture. Uh, the cultural laws of things that they they couldn't could, could and could not do but it did not carry out to the gentiles like for example you don't see the ninevites that got saved by the preaching of jonah they didn't have to take on judaism nebuchadnezzar who got saved wrote daniel chapter four he got saved he didn't have to take on the judaistic laws uh, uh, cultural laws so we see it was only for the jews only for the jews but the righteous laws, now what I mean by that, these are the specific laws that define sin and what you need to be saved from. Like we see, for example, like the Ten Commandments kind of idea uh, of you know, lying and theft and killing. You know, these things that, 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 uh, that are defined uh, as sin by the righteous laws. Now we go over to the New Testament. We see we are under a new covenant, as you see in Romans uh, 6.14. We're no longer under the law, but under grace. And meaning we're no longer under the condemnation of the law, but under grace. Um, and this is defined by the Apostolic Council in Acts chapter 15. Apostolic Council uh, of the Apostles in Acts chapter 15, where they had to figure, okay, what what are we doing this because we see the gentiles are getting saved and we see the jews are getting saved and the jews believe we have to keep the law the gentiles don't so what exactly we're we doing and they gather together and they, we see that they say uh, they seem good just and to the holy ghost the spirit of god taught them and helped them and inspired them and instructed them uh, that no the law of the old testament of the cultural laws is not carried over into the new covenant it is not we see that they, they even say why should we put a yoke of burden upon their shoulders and that we nor our forefathers could bear but rather that uh, there's four things that are mentioned 
In Acts chapter 15, there's four things that are mentioned uh, in verse 20 and in verse 29. They abstain from meats offered to idols. That's idolatry. And from blood, from eating and drinking blood like the pagans do. You know, the bowls and cups of blood and stuff. That's a pagan thing. Don't do that. As we see in Genesis 9-3, God even says to Noah, you can eat meat, and, but don't eat the, the blood thereof, or the, uh, the that's the life thereof, not to eat blood. That's just one thing God says. And it's carried over to the New Testament not to eat blood. And from things strangled, that's uh, we see as uh, animal cruelty. Uh, uh, it's supposed to be humane, not torturing animals like some cultures do. They torture uh, horribly, horribly, horribly torture their animals, strangle them, everything. Because uh, animal cruelty is forbidden by God. As you see, a righteous man regards the life of his beast, but the ways of the, uh, the wicked are cruel. And also strangling as well is this is this is not properly preparing the meat because it keeps the blood in the meat it needs to be properly uh, properly cared for. As you see, abstain from things and from fornication, immorality. So it's four things. And that's all that's carried over in here of things that we observe uh, in addition to the righteous laws of God. Now we go over to First Timothy chapter four. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we see the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and it's uh, talking about uh, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Now, what are some doctrines of devils? Verse 3, forbidding to marry. That you don't need to get married. You can just shack up and do whatever. No, that, that's a doctrine of devils. Uh, and commanding to abstain from meats commanding to abstain from meats say well you you can eat beef but you can't eat pork that's a doctrine of devils commanding to abstain from meats it's a doctrine of devils or saying that eating meat is sin that's a doctrine of devils now if you just don't want to eat pork you just don't want to eat meat that's that's different but condemning the eating of it is a doctrine of devils and a sin now, uh, then we then we take a look at also at, in uh, Acts when the uh, Gentiles are getting saved and the apostles are going out and Peter is up on the rooftop and he's praying and he has he has that uh, vision of the Lord at, where God brings down the net full of animals, all kinds of creatures and everything, and God says, "Rise, Peter, kill any." And Peter says, "Not so, Lord. I I have never eaten anything that is defiled or unclean." And God says, "Do not call unclean what I have cleansed. Do not call unclean what I have cleansed." God says it's perfectly fine. God says it's perfectly fine. Eat whatever you want. That there's no restrictions on diet. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, you're in a debate with a Messianic Jew. Well, right there's your problem. Messianic Jews aren't Christians. I know that sounds odd. That sounds weird. But they're not Christians. They're law keepers. They believe their salvation is by maintenance of law. That they have to keep the law. They have to earn their salvation by law keeping. Uh, they're a law keeper, uh, a works-based salvationist cult. They believe in Jesus. But they're so close to the cross, but they're so far from the blood. Uh, they, they believe the, that, that the Messianic Jews today 
are the Judaizers that followed along behind the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, where this is why he wrote the book of Galatians and Hebrews, was for these, uh, these books are written for these individuals, these Judaizers, who believed in Jesus, but believed they have to keep the law. That, that it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. You've got to follow all these laws in addition to it. No, you don't. They corrupted grace. And so Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians to refute them. Now, it's not by law. We're not bound by laws. We're not by, bound by any laws. Other, the only observances we see is in Acts 15. But then again, these are observances the Lord says it's important for you to, for you to, to, to pay attention to. But what, what if you do? What if, what, what, if, what if you do go and eat a steak, a bloody steak, for example? Well, Scripture says you're not supposed to eat blood. That's wrong to do that. But did you lose your salvation? No. Is God angry with you? No, but it's wrong to do. You should repent of that and do what the scripture says. Your meat should be properly cooked. But uh, the, you, you see, that's what, it, that's what it means there. We're held by grace, not law. We're under grace, not law. Romans 6.14. So the laws are important to help us, to guide us in, in drawing closer to the Lord and understanding what is right and what is not as children of the Lord. He instructs us and teaches us. Children mess up all the time. But that's where they keep teaching. The parents keep teaching and guiding. The Lord does that with us. So yeah, the Messianic, uh, Messianic Judaism is just one step closer to salvation but they're not saved yet there might be some that may be and they're deceived in the thinking they have to keep all the feasts and all the stuff and do all the things if you want to do that if you want to keep the feasts if you want to do all that stuff well just remember what scripture says if, if you believe you have to keep the law you're a debtor to do all of the law for if you break one point of the law you're guilty of all of the law and just remember there's over 613 laws that you have to keep perfectly every day all the time good luck with that I also love to ask Messianic Jews, which laws are they not keeping? Because technically there's how they have to keep all of them, but you net, but you only see them cherry picking only a few as important ones to keep and they don't keep all of them. They're hypocrites. So, yeah. All right. Um, the Ebenezer says, I got into a debate with a Messianic Jew about it, and I bit off more than I could chew. <laughs> Good one. Okay, but yeah. Oh, they know scripture cherry-picked. They don't know Christ. They don't know grace. They say they believe in Jesus, but it's a Jesus of their mind. It's a Jesus of their religion. It's a Jesus. It's a law-keeping Jesus. It's not a Jesus who saves by grace. They don't understand freedom. They don't understand liberty in Jesus Christ. All right, Jenna says, I almost got stuck in Messianic Judaism when I first became born again uh, through someone I knew trying to teach me. It was a struggle. I thank the Lord I got out of that, especially the whole Sabbath thing. They go crazy over that one. Right, right. Let's do that one again. Okay, uh, let me just go over the whole sabbath thing again just a refresher because while we're on the topic why not okay um it, do we have to keep the sabbath well all right well sabbath is saturday all right the whole w w when should we go to church does it matter what did what did jesus say what does the bible say 
I know what tradition says. I know what denominations say. I know what religion says. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Now, regarding the whole Sabbath law thing, yeah, yeah, the, firstly, you got to look at who is asking or who is telling. You got to look at the origin of this. Now, those who are impressing the necessity of having to keep law, uh, keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath law, look at the background of their belief system. It's a works-based, legalistic, law-keeping denomination religion. They believe they have to keep the laws. Their salvation is, is based upon their maintenance. So that's the first thing you want to look at. They're law keepers. Is the Sabbath people are law keepers. They think we're bound by law. If you don't keep if you don't keep this, you're in danger and, and you're sinning greatly and you're in trouble with God. Well, okay. Then we look at this whole Sabbath thing according to as the Bible teaches it and shows it. All right. As you see in the Bible, for example, the tabernacle temple priests did not just serve God one day of the week. Right? Right. But every day. Every day. Every day. All day. Uh, they, uh, we see them uh, following the observances and the traditions and the sacrifices and the offerings and uh, and all this stuff all the time. Teaching the people and all this stuff to, uh, all day. Every day. Right? Every day. Okay? Not to mention, there is also the night watch priests, as the scriptures teach. Those of the night watch, where they would come in and cleanse and get everything ready and prepare everything for the morning. So, day and night, there were priests serving and observing and, and, and worshiping the Lord day and night. Now, you go to Jesus in the New Testament with his disciples. Is Whenever ye are gathered together, do this in my name. Whenever, whenever, do this in my name. He emphasized any day, any time, around the clock, we gather together to worship him, we, we do this in his name. The, the, the communion table, the remembrance of our Lord. And also, by the way, uh, on a side note as well, we see, for example, the Ten Commandments. All of the commandments of the Ten Commandments are mentioned in the New Testament, repeated in the New Testament, taught as important, with exception of one. The Sabbath law is not repeated in the New Testament as something that we must observe, as taught by the disciples, the apostles, or Jesus. Just something interesting there. Now, why? Because Christ replaces this commandment. Christ replaces the Sabbath commandment. He replaces it with something new. And, and the new covenant of whenever. Now why? Why is that? Because in the scriptures we see as we, when we are born again saved, what, what do we become? What do we become? Believer priests. A royal priesthood. A holy nation of peculiar people to show forth the praises of him. And what are our bodies? Living temples. We're all built together. A, a, a lively temple unto, unto Christ. We are living temples. Royal priests. Living temples. And dwelt by the spirit of God. And what do we do? All day, every day. We worship him. We serve him. So because of this, every day is our Sabbath. 
Every day we worship and serve and teach and instruct and offer up the sacrifice and the praises and the offerings and all these things and all our spiritual worship and thanksgiving and praise and service, our, our prayers, our incense unto God. And it's all day, every day. We, we gather together to worship the Lord. We could literally have church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, day or night. 24 7 365 doesn't matter when you gather together so the whole sabbath people don't understand this there you go hope that answers that one okay kirk says i've been getting to know two messianic jews I just departed from one of their Bible studies. And yes, my friends are saved, I believe, I believe. But good Lord Jesus, please save them from their radical sabbatical works. Yes, uh, that their eyes would be opened to the, to the immensity of the grace of Jesus Christ. We're not bound by law. We're not bound by law. We don't have to follow law. We follow grace. We follow Jesus Christ. Uh okay going down through kirk says god showed me romans 7 this morning freedom from the law exactly so you take romans 7 and compare it as the cross reference the book of galatians the book of galatians is kind of a fleshing out of romans 7. so romans 7 is kind of a succinct explanation of the book of galatians so you want to read those two together okay and jenna says yes i was so overwhelmed being a new believer seeing all all the things you got to do as a messianic yeah <laughs> what do you got to do believe believe and when you believe on the lord jesus christ with all your heart soul mind and strength what happens what naturally what naturally happens what transpires a desire to want to follow him and uh, and naturally instinctively out of you will flow the rivers of living water the good words uh, the good words and the works and the deeds and things of the service because i want to follow him it's not it's not a have to you see the messianics and the and other cults they turn it into a have to i have to do this i have to do that and i have to do this and i can't do that no it's it's a want to i want to follow him and i don't want to follow him a natural loving desire of a want to it's because it's a relationship we're we're in a relationship with jesus christ he's not our co-worker He's not a co-worker. You know what I mean? We don't have to work for anything. It's not It's not a work to earn to gain. He's, he's our father. We're his children. We're not co-workers. So, yeah. There you go. Alrighty. So, with that, is there anything else in here? Oh, yes. <laughs> Here's something. All right, I got to be careful here because I don't want to get my channel censored or whatever. I don't have to worry about demonetization because I don't monetize anything. None of my videos are monetized, FYI. All right, there's a verse I came across in my Bible studies uh, a while back. Um, okay, we're radically changing topics here. Uh, you see in woke society in the whole gender conformity arguments and all of that kind of stuff 
that the woke individuals who believe in the hyper gender fluidity believe that men can be women and women can be men and that men can get pregnant okay that apparently by the woke the that men can get pregnant all right now do you remember do you remember when i told you that the bible literally has an answer for literally anything and everything that there is nothing that you could come up with that the bible wouldn't have a doctrine a teaching a principle an image is something to say regarding it <laughs> well does the bible have anything to say with the whole woke cultures teaching and belief that men can get pregnant yes the bible has something to say on this god has something to say on this jeremiah chapter 30. jeremiah chapter 30 verse 6. <laughs> jeremiah chapter 30 verse 6 ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child where, wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and in all faces are turned into paleness? Is this even a thing? Do you, do you see that at all? Does it happen? No. <laughs> God literally shoots down men can get pregnant. God speaks against the whole thing that men can get pregnant in Jeremiah 30 verse 6. <laughs> He's, he uses that as an absurdity. As a complete... goes against nature it doesn't happen it's not a thing it doesn't happen jeremiah 30 verse 6 <laughs> telling you the word of god is an answer for everything god has something to say about, about anything you don't have to worry about it okay um do i have anything else if you have any other comments, questions, anything else, go ahead, ask away, or have to wrap this up. I'm just seeing if there's anything else uh, before this. Um, I guess I go over this one. Uh, Genesis, where did you get your shirt? Oh, I had it made. Um, my wife works at a uh, print shop. Uh, a graphic design. She's a graphic designer. Works at a print shop, and they also do some printing of t-shirts and this is one of my evangelism shirts and on the back it says repent and believe the gospel and on the front jesus christ is god and i have this one in white and i also have it in uh, in yellow and i wear them when i do my street preaching all right um okay so yeah okay so Ebenezer has a question i got one more question why is Cain not listed in the generations of Adam, Genesis 5.1? Because of Cain's transgression and sin and rejection of God, uh, that uh, God did not bring the line of the Messiah through Cain. It's the line of the Messiah. That's the generations. It goes from Jesus all the way back through to Adam. And God did not use Cain. It did not go through the line of Cain. And, and the line in the uh, generational uh, line, so that's we gotta look at. It's the it's the it's the uh, descendants going down through the generation from Jesus. So yeah, there you go.
Okay. So I got uh, one other thing here. Um, a while back, a few years ago, I forget how many years ago. Three, almost four years ago, I think. I came across this, uh, this study when I was in my studies of apologetics uh, at the time. Some of you might remember, if you've been, been around uh, CCT for a long time, I used to do a lot of apologetics and debates with Muslims. Muslims, atheists, other uh, other cults and religions and beliefs. I used to do a lot of debates. Not so much anymore. I, I do more Bible teaching and evangelism now. I don't do so many debates anymore. Um, and it's, uh, uh, but uh, the one of the things I found that's really interesting uh, is the sheer amount of contradictions in the Quran. Now, please understand, I'm not bashing Muslims. I'm not bashing their, bashing their, you can, you can go believe, do, have, identify, whatever you want. I'm not saying you can't, and you're allowed to go do, have, believe, whatever you want. I'm just saying, from my observation, my studies, my readings, this is what I read, that, uh, and reading the, when I, when I was reading, uh, some apologetic studies i came across something rather interesting uh was i discovered this from a david wood <laughs> some of you might know david wood he's quite a character uh he is a, a great apologist of the christian faith and defense of christianity and he debates against islam and he pointed out something that's quite interesting and i've used this in some of my debates and a lot of muslims don't know how to respond to this uh, according to the quran muhammad is in hell Oh, he deleted his channel. Uh, been a while since I watched some of his stuff. I didn't know that happened. That's a, yeah, because YouTube kept censoring him and blocking him and everything else, and gave him such trouble. I think he moved over to a different platform. I think he moved over to a different platform. That's uh, what happened. Uh, but anyways, in uh, in the Quran, in Quran chapter seventy four, verses twenty four to twenty six, it says that. It says that anyone who says that the words of the Quran are anything but the words of Allah, it'll be cast into hell. So if you grab the Quran and say, say that the words in the Quran are from any other source or any other means other than Allah himself, you will go to hell. Right? That's what the Quran says. That's Quran 74 verse 24 to 26. Then you go over to Quran 69, Quran chapter 69, verses 38 to 41. Muhammad is talking, and he says that the Quranic teachings, the teachings in the Quran, are just the teachings of a noble messenger. Quran 74 says, if you say that the words of the Quran are from any other source other than the law, you'll go to hell. And then in Quran 69, Muhammad says that the teachings are from only a noble messenger. So according to this contradiction, Muhammad is in hell for blasphemy because he said that the teachings of the Quran were only from a noble messenger and not from Allah. So in the, the using the Quran itself, you see that Muhammad is in hell. yeah there you go and just something to think about 
Uh, Braden has a question. What do you think about mid-axe dispensationalists? Super confusing doctrine. Well, yeah. Yeah. That there, there is a time that you do see. A t- it's called the time of grace. Uh, there, uh, where individuals like, uh, or they're going with uh, others. Like there were some people fo- still following, for example, the teachings of John the Baptist in the or in the in the first in the first stages of the early church, in uh, in other areas, and they're still following. Uh, but they, they were they, they were believers and they're saved and they had to be taught. So we see a time there. We also see some gifts um that that have changed uh, we see uh, in the dispensation of um my brain shut down i'm tired my sugar is getting low um or individuals uh who believed in the lord we, for example we see that that up until the point of the cross it was old testament john three sixteen is old testament just, just okay is old testament so during this period of people who believed like for example believed in the, by the teaching of john the baptist they believed in the lord got themselves right that they they were saved they just they were taught more more accurately more correctly like we see um uh who are those the, that couple there's that couple that were, they took paul in and paul helped them and taught them more more correctly and then they helped so there was a one man who was a prophet and they and they took him in and, and taught him more correctly so there is a time there it, yeah it, a bit confusing try to wrap your mind around but we also see that see some uh other dispensation aspects that means errors changes of time differences like we see uh in first first corinthians chapter 13 verses 8 to 10 there are certain gifts which will fade away and be gone so we do see times of change uh that's just what it means by dispensation um, yeah so yeah it can be confusing it's not a super big thing that you really have you have to understand but if you do look into it that this is what it does show uh some people deny dispensations well that's just absurd clearly there are changes in times and differences clearly there is um we see even in the old testament we see the dispensation of of before the mosaic law all the people before the mosaic law then the mosaic law and then the time of the prophets and before the prophets and then we see the time of the prophets before the kings and then after the kings eras and changes that's what means by dispensation um yeah okay so uh yeah it is confusing i don't really give it much thought it's not that big of a dish issue just what it says what it means it does seem to show it there are does give some examples but yeah if i state that the gospel was uh, i say who oh you're talking about someone else <laughs> okay um okay then we're going back we're talking about david wood yeah david wood had a great channel lots of information lots of goodies on there and they wound up having to delete his channel because youtube discrimination uh, YouTube was discriminating him and censoring him and hating him and harassing him. So he deleted his channel and made a new channel. Braden says he made a new channel. It focuses on philosophy, though. He still joins other people's channels and speaks on Islam. He doesn't talk about Islam on YouTube anymore because it's just a waste of time. Everything got deleted. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the world will hate you for speaking truth. Right. And uh, Olga says, I hope a lot of people left Islam because of his channel. 
Actually, he did. He was a massive, massive worker in swaying people to a proper understanding, getting them out of Islam. He did a great work on that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a complete waste of time. And Olga says, why don't you bring snacks? Because I mentioned my sugar is getting low. Oh, because I don't want to turn my videos into ASMR. <laughs> That's just why. Uh, I... I don't think you want to hear me, my gob smacking and chewing and all that, you know. So that's why I don't even slurp my, my coffee making noises. Okay. Um, Braden says they pretty much state that the Gospels were not written for us and that there's like four different Gospels. Yeah, the Islam, how uh, they hate Christianity and make up lies about Christianity and slander Christianity. They... They think they understand the Gospels, they don't. They say they understand the Bible and that we're, we're the ones that misunderstand it. Well, all you got to do is literally read the words on the page and you see they're wrong. <laughs> uh, they don't, obviously clearly don't know how to read the words on the pages. So, yeah. Uh, I've done a lot of debates with Muslims. I, I've done debates with Muslim clerics to lay people from their... I've debated Muslim imams. And lay people, um, there have been some Muslims that uh, uh, through CCT and our debates and discussions of the gospel, some Muslims actually recanted Islam and got born again saved. We have seen Catholics get saved, Anglicans get saved, Orthodox get saved, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, Hindus, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists get saved uh, uh through the work of cct so please keep praying this ministry reach out and get more we've seen witches satanists occultists get born again saved through cct there have been several marriages that have been rescued where that where they were about to get divorced and they did it and they got their marriages fixed several marriages have gotten fixed through through the bible studies and counseling of cct um multiple suicides have been have been uh, uh, been stopped and people uh, got their lives turned around and given themselves to the Lord and their and their lives changed uh, several uh, not several, uh, tons of suicides have been stopped uh, we have seen such great works uh, the, the the word of God the, the spirit of God working through this ministry not me it's the word of God being promoted uh, people seeing and hearing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ the doctrines of scripture and their and their lives getting changed so keep praying for this ministry that it reach more as we reach around the world and help people everywhere, as we focus on the gospel of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, by belief alone, and preaching the freedom and simplicity of Christianity according to scripture, this is what it is. It's simple. It's by grace, through faith, by belief, and it's simple, and it's by grace, not law. So yeah, please keep praying. Keep praying. And uh, again, folks, I guess we'll wrap that up here. And it's been going for a while, two hours, two and a half hours. So that's pretty good. So again, folks, I just want to thank you all for your support. For those of you who financially support this ministry, you've taken on a, a, a duty and a, a help. I just I can't thank you enough for all of your help. It means so much to help us to keep going, provides for the bills and everything else, to be able to keep this up and all the material and stuff, to be able to keep going. Thank you so much for your financial support. And for all of you who are praying for us, thank you so much for that, for your prayers. We need help and comfort. We need defense. We need protection and provision. There's so much to go on here. Uh, we are under regular attack by tons of, of the, the wicked, the sons of Belial, and by different uh, 
organizations fighting against us as well trying to shut us down please keep praying that the lord will put his hedge of protection above us to keep this work going there's so much there's just so much to do so thank you all for your support for your prayers for your fellowship especially your fellowship it means so much it, it excites me every time every time i go to do this it, it just seeing you folks and your involvement i can't really see you but i see your comments and i know you're here and it just it means so much to see so many people who just love just the simple word of god the simple faith and they you want to be a part and interact and all this it means so much to see it it really encourages and helps us to keep going so uh thank you all for for everything for everything and uh and uh yeah so again folks i'm not going to be here next week so from the 7th to the 12th i'm going to be gone and uh please be praying for journey mercies that the lord protects us as we go uh we're traveling for a bit and uh, please pray that all goes well and that uh, there be no issues or problems uh for for our health uh, uh and uh yeah just that we get back safely please keep praying for this ministry that uh, nothing happens while we're gone and all of that so um with that folks god bless you god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again folks and as always if i don't see you again i'll see you in the sky god bless <laughs>